chapter 33. Last week we saw the golden calf. Moses comes down off the mountain. He, he smashes the two tablets written by the finger of God and the hand of God. And um, the, 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 the children of Israel are dancing around the golden calf to the song Born to be Wild. They're naked. They're partying. Um, and, and Moses comes down and, and, and we have this blow up. Then he rises up and he tells the the children of Israel to rise up and deal with this problem. And and that God is and they basically have to go in with a sword and eradicate the rebels from within their ranks. And the tribe of Levi was the only tribe that stepped up to to execute God's judgment upon their own people from before that point. It was the firstborn who was supposed to be the um, one that. Uh, would do the, the priestly duties and serve God in those in that way. And after that point in history, to this day, it's the tribe of Levi that is the priestly tribe, and 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 from then on out. Now, one of the things that we talked about last week that I just wanted to highlight, going through chapter thirty-two, it's made a pretty big impression on me. Um, when the the children came to Aaron and they said, you know, we we want to we want to you know worship other gods or we want to have this party and Aaron told them to break off their gold earrings and remember Moses came down he said oh, I just threw him in the fire and his golden calf came out when we know that he fashioned it Aaron we get this this kind of impression that Aaron wasn't he wasn't in rebellion in his heart and he wasn't all in and he didn't like the plan but he was trying to appease the people and what Aaron did is is he he did fashion the golden calf and he gave it to him but as we read in 32 do you remember early that morning before the party started you know where all the people were? They were all in church. Aaron had consecrated a, a, a feast and a, and, a, and a sacrifice unto the Lord early that morning and told all the people to come. And they all came. And then later that day, they went on to the party and partied like a rock star. And the lesson is, you know, and, and later the we, we have this um, story where, where, where people offer strange fire to the Lord. And because they offer, it's not prescribed. It's not the way that God, God, God accepts the worship that he prescribed is what we said. And it wasn't the worship that God prescribed. And so this strange fire and people today, you know, say, say what's strange fire in the church today? People, you know, laughing in the spirit, people telling jokes to each other in the service in tongues and all this weird stuff, strange fire, worshiping the Lord in ways that he didn't prescribe. But um, just again, that commitment to teaching and being in the word, because like what happened to Aaron and with you, and, and we'll see it so often where, you know, people will come to church and they'll attend the church service and then they go home and they live because the Sunday, if your Sunday don't change your Monday, then your Sunday don't count. And, and, and obviously that service they went to in the morning, their heart that didn't change what they did later. And it was the compromise that Aaron made, you know, with offering these, these kind of strange fire and this, this alternative style of, you know, worship to appease the people when it wasn't way, the way God prescribed. So that brings us to 33. In chapter 33, in verse number 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To your descendants I will give it. Last little note to remember. Um, God offered in that... Um, exchange that they had last time we were we were in this book a couple weeks ago in this in this chapter 
that where, you know, they're going back and forth and, and God says, hey, Moses, your people are down there messing up. And Moses says, they're not my people, they're your people. And God says, no, they're not my people, they're your people. And, and then God offers Moses a deal. And, and he tells Moses, listen, I know I said that, that, that Abraham would be the father of all nations, but we'll wipe that out. We'll wipe all these people out. And from you, you'll be Father Abraham. So they won't, you know, would have brought us to today where we wouldn't be singing Father Abraham. We'd be singing Father Moses. And this is the deal that God offered to Moses. And Moses, as we know, he began to intercede for the people. And he said, blot my name out of the, the book of life, if that's what it takes to save these people. And he interceded for the people. And God relented and, and, and changed his mind. But 30,000 were still, or 3,000 were still killed the day the law was given. And in verse 2 it says, And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and the Flashlight, and the Termite, and the, all, and the Palestinian. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I love that, that term. We're going to unpack that term, um, not tonight, but... Keep that in your mind. There's so much in that, that little phrase. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a red-necked people. I mean, a stiff-necked people. So th- this, this promise that God's going to send his angel that, that is um, kind of a bummer. And he says, I'm not going to go with you because you're a bunch of donkeys and eors. And, and if I go with you, I'm going to get upset and I'm going to hit a couple of you and that's going to snowball and I'll consume all of you. And so, you know, really, and, and listen, I want to kind of fast forward some of this, but I want you to understand in Exodus 33 and 34, we are going to see on demonstration. You guys can write this in your in your margin, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And so it wasn't God, that Old Testament angry God here. It was really a term of mercy. And he he was um, going to deal with the people if he went. And, you know, sometimes as a dad, I do that, you know, rather than just smack a couple of my kids, I just go and, and get away from them for long enough until I calm down or situation changes. And, and so God says, I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel with you lest I consume you. And when verse four, it says, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his garment, his ornaments. So we do get a little glimpse here of, of repentance from the, the, the people. Now, not, not too often do we see this, but they didn't put on their ornaments. They, they understood the bad news. They mourned. And that, that mourning is, is a legitimate, sorry that we did it, repentance type of mourning that the people have. And in verse 5, it says, For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. We see that term a lot that God uses um, describing his people, you know. It's like the um, Pastor Gerald had, had a donkey and, and he, they sold the donkey to uh, a guy that lived a mile, a mile away. And so um, he, he, he put the um, rope around the donkey's neck and started walking the donkey to the, you're just going to walk it, you know, to the neighbor's mile, mile and a half away or whatever and, and, and at some point, the donkey decided he wasn't going to go anywhere. And so he's yanking on and he's hitting it from behind and everything he can. The donkey will not move. So he, he goes and he gets a pickup truck, ties that rope to the back of the pickup truck, and he starts dragging that donkey. And all fours in the dirt, not moving, 
dragging that donkey won't take a step. Finally, after about 100 yards of dragging him, he decided he was going to walk. That's a stiff-necked person. That, that's the idea of stiff-necked. In verse 5, the second half, I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you, to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, the, the, the nation of Israel, the people, they had defiled, in, in essence, the camp with this idol worship and this naked dance party, born to be wild party that they had. And so Moses, he moves his tent. Now, this is not the, the tabernacle that, that hasn't, it hasn't been built yet. We, we went through, we spent weeks going through the construction and the plans for it, but it hasn't been built, built yet. But God has, and Moses had this place outside the, the city set up. That where where Moses could still meet with God in this in this meeting place, and in verse eight it says, "So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, or the the meeting, the place of meeting, that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle." Maybe that's why we all rise when the judge comes in, and we got that from Moses, the first judge. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. Then so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So we have this... Um, really uh, unique experience. And I don't think it was unique only to Moses, but um, he spoke to God as, as man speaks to man. We know that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, the Bible says. The Bible says that God walked with Enoch and he was not because God took him. And so God has had this, this personal, intimate relationship. You know, we recorded several times in the Bible. Now, um, and, and today we, we have that same opportunity. And one of the things that, that, that I've just taught a ton and uh, really been near on my heart is, is just this truth that each one of us is as close to God as we want to be. Each one of us is as near to the Lord and hears the, vo- the, the Lord's voice and knows the Lord as much as you want to be. No, nobody has been given any kind of cape when they were born that, that enables them superpowers to have a closer relationship with God than anybody else in any of his creation. And it's illustrated over and over and over again in the Bible. I'm not getting into that study. But James says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. John, the apostle John, he was always closest to Jesus, laying on Jesus' bosom. He was called the beloved disciple or technically the one that Jesus loved more. And the reason why John was the beloved disciple or the favored one was not because Jesus fell out of bed one day, bumped his head on a rock and said, oh, John, I think I'll pick John. And the Bible says to some 30, to some 60, to some 100 fold blessing. How do you decide if you get 30, 60 or 100? How does God decide? You get what you want. You decide. You decide what you want to put in and, and how much time you want to spend. The reason why John was on Jesus' bosom was because John loved Jesus more than the other disciples. And Jesus just responded to John's love. And Moses has this relationship where he speaks to God face to face. Now, did Moses see God's face? In that type of face-to-face? 
No. We've already unpacked this, right? No man can see my face at any time and live. It's like a bug getting next to one of them bug zappers. You get too close and it's over for you. And and nobody can see God's face. Remember what Thomas said to the Lord or to to Jesus? He said to Jesus, he said, he said, Jesus, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so so Jesus is the picture of God. But as far as the father goes, no one seen no one can see God and live. No one, no one has ever seen God and lived. We're going to see in 34 the closest that anybody will ever get to seeing God. In the Old Testament where we have God appearing and, and people talking to him, every time it's, it's a Christophany or it's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus before he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He was um, appeared in the Old Testament multiple times. And so when you see that someone saw God, they saw Jesus in the Old Testament because no man can see God at any time. And so Moses here has this relationship where he speaks to God. And I, I think in our Christianity, one of the things that everybody always wants to know and figure out and ask is, is how do I know the will of God? How do I know the voice of God? And again, that, that comes through practice, that comes through dedication, that comes through um, John, the you know apostle John type stuff where you're just close to Jesus. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And the more time you spend with him, the more you'll, you'll know about his character, about his person, his voice will become clearer. And um, it is difficult to sometimes discern the voice of God. But with Moses, it wasn't the case. He spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to a man. You know, the interesting thing, too, was I don't think that, you know, sometimes when people speak to God, they, they feel like they have to speak differently. Like you've got to speak in old English when you're talking to God. Thee, thy, holy, thee, thy father. Or, or, you, or, or like one of these, you know, or you think you've got to, like, be out of breath to talk to God. Oh, God, I, I, I pray, God, that you would, oh, Lord. And, come on, man. That's just not what we see in the Bible. And it's not, it's not, you know, it's cool. Moses just talked to God as a man talks to a man. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, just say our father in heaven, talk to God like you, you know, and not, don't, don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. I'm not talking about irreverence or uh, uh, simplicity. When you talk or pray to God, you're talking to the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. And you have this amazing opportunity to go up on the mountain where only Moses was allowed in the Old Testament and meet with God face to face. And definitely with reverence and with a heart that's humble and, and bold. But just talk to God. You don't got to get weird. You don't got to deep breathe, breathe deep. You don't got to speak in old English for God to understand you. And then he says in verse um, 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He's like, I don't know this angel that you're trying to send with me. I talk to you. I hang out with you all the time, but I never even met this dude. You're going to try to send me with some angel I don't even know. Yet you have said, I know you by name and have also found grace in my sight. He's like, but I know you. We hang out. We're kind of friends. Can, can won't you just come with us? Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, grace, there's a word, grace, 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 grace in your sight. Show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight again. And consider that this nation is your people. They're going back and forth with that discussion again. Your people, not my people, your people. And so Moses puts it back on the Lord. They're your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
And then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. To me, this is not, I don't know how to emphasize it enough. It's not everything. It's not the best thing. It is the only thing. It is the most important thing. It is beyond the most important thing is the presence of God in your life and my life. And everything that we do and everywhere that we go, it's the presence of God. And we get this amazing illustration here where God says, Moses, look, you guys can go. I'll, I'll even bless you guys. I'm even going to send my angel to take care of you and, and, and do things for you and fulfill things. But I, I'm not going because you, you people won't serve me. And, and, and I might just get upset and consume you all. And I don't want to do that in my grace and mercy. So I'm going to hang back here, but I'll send my angel and you go. And Moses said, Lord, we don't want to go unless you go with us. Or we won't go unless you go with us. We prayed about um, moving over here across this vine to this building over here. And what was our church's prayer? What was our heart? What did God speak to us? He spoke to us right here out of this verse is that we want to go. But Lord, we don't want to go if you're not going to go with us. Please don't send us if you don't go with us. Only if you go with us. Only if your presence go with us. And wherever you go in life, when you go to work tomorrow, when you get in your car tomorrow, it's God's presence with you. Um, that that is the most important thing, that is the everything, that is the only thing. And, and from that, everything is born is God with us, God with us, God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so Moses here understands and he just, we don't want to do anything. I don't, we don't want to do anything in our own strength. I don't, I don't want to do anything apart from God's presence with me. Every time I come on stage, it's like, Lord, I don't want to step one foot on that stage. I don't want to open my mouth, my Bible, unless you go with me. And unless you go with me. And the Lord says, I'm standing right next to you. And then in verse 16, it says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your side, except you go with us? You have to go with us. Again, the word grace. Again, in the context here, I want you to catch this, because I'm going to make a point about God's grace here in a minute. Um, Except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. You know, that's what separates you and, and I from the rest of the world and anybody on the world, any other religion, is, is God's presence, right? You can have a form of godliness without the power, denying the power thereof is, what it, is the way it's described in the New Testament. And we see so many religious people who wear this outward um, righteousness on their sleeve, but inwardly they're, they're, they're whitewashed tombs and they're, they're dark. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's just religion. It, it's typical religion across the the, the 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 spectrum of all religions is that exact thing. It's an outward form of righteousness without the presence of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Moses, again, recognizing that and, and saying that the, the, the whole reason that separates us is the presence and the power of God in our lives. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. What did God say Moses found? What's the context of what's about to happen? Same answer. Let's try that again. What did Moses find in God's sight? What's the context of what's about to happen? Grace. And he said, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, so um, this is the part where um, the kind of iconic part in the scripture where um, God says to Moses, what do you want? And Moses says, I want to see you. I want to see you. Show me your glory. And again, the reason is if you if you love somebody, what what do you desire for and about somebody you love? The bottom line is you want to see them. 
You want to spend time with them. If you really love somebody, the heart, your heart issue is that you want to be with them, right? How many of you guys, you know, when you dated your wife, what did you, or when you were dating, you, you know, she wasn't your wife at the time you had just met. You spent all day, every day, just wanting to be together, looking forward to the next time you were together. You just wanted to be together, wanted to be together, wanted to be together. Then you'd spend all day together. Then you'd go home and call each other on the phone and until you fell asleep on the phone with drool running down your mouth on the phone because you were you wanted to be together. And Moses wants to see the Lord. And then Moses, or the Lord said in verse 19, Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place for me and you shall stand on the rock. Whenever we see the rock in the Old Testament, what's that a picture of? Jesus. Jesus is the rock that we stand on. Jesus is the rock that's higher than I. And, and the, 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 this is Jesus. It fits in every way. He's going to be held in the cleft of the rock. It, it, it's so symbolic of Jesus, 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 that Moses would stand on Jesus. And if he wants to see the Lord, it's in Jesus. It's through Jesus. It's on Jesus. And so it shall be while my glory passes that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So the Lord is going to pass through Moses in this kind of obscure story and where Moses wants to see God and God's going to grant his request. And he said he's going to put his hand in front of Moses' face. Does the Father or does God have a hand like we and I, you and I have a hand? Who knows? Is that what it means? Is, is that an anthropomorphic term? Is that, a, is that a human term trying to describe a spirit and holy God? When you, when you close your eyes, do you see the Father? Is this like old man character with this big white beard and this kind of like Greek mythology stone face where his eyes are closed all the time and like the way people would tattoo the Father on them? And the reality is we don't have any, we have kind of a, a mental picture of what Jesus looked like. We, we know he wore a beard. We know that he was average um, height and weight and, 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 and person of his day, that he would have just fit in with everybody else. He would have been normal, he, you know, he, things he would have wore. And so we do, but with the God, we have, every time you see God, you have this like mental description. But really, I don't, I don't think that we should have a picture in our mind of what the father is going to look like. It's going to be so much obviously greater and better than we can imagine. Sometimes I tell you guys that in worship, I close my eyes and I imagine myself in the throne room of God to try to, um, um, get in the mood and the mode of, of worshiping the Lord. And there's a big throne in a room. But the reality is, even even as I do that, I, I don't have like this figure or this, this idea in my mind of what's sitting on the throne. It's more or less just being in God's presence. And I try to visualize it to help my heart and my myself get into the spirit of worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. But we, we live by what? We live by faith, not by sight and so our, our our faith in god is is through faith and in faith and by faith and and we don't have and should nor should we have a, a visual picture of what the father looks like and then it says in 34 
All right, I got two minutes. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. And so Moses has to go back up on the mountain and and, and God's going to re right on the tablets because Moses broke the first ones. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai. And the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands of the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth in worship. And he said, if I now have found grace, what are we talking about? In your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people and pardon your iniquity, our sins and take us, as your inheritance. And so the, 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 the thing is, when God appears, what, what, what Moses sees are the, the, these nine attributes or characteristics of God as he passes by. So the Lord covers Moses' eyes so he doesn't die. And what Moses actually sees is, is that thing that Isaiah describes. I saw you high and lifted up and I saw the train of your robe. So it's almost like what Moses saw. He says, and again, the, the term that God used was hand and back. Now, again, I don't picture God having a hand or a back, maybe the way we would expect. But he didn't see, he didn't, not, not that he saw the back of God. He saw the, the wake almost as if the boat went by and left the ripples in the wake. And it's the glory of God. It's, it's the Shekinah glory that, and, and this, this robe of God's goodness. And Moses got to see that as it went by. And in that, and in, in the very, um, picture of God was proclaimed the character of God and the nature of God. And so here we have um, in this in this context, the nature of God given to us. It, do you want to know what the nature of God is? Do you want to know what God is like? You come here because God proclaimed as he exposed himself, as he showed himself, what was exposed and what was shown was who he really was, what his real nature was at the core and again, it was verse six, merciful, gracious, long suffering. I love the fact that God's long suffering because, man, I wouldn't be here if God wasn't long suffering. Merciful, gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. By no means clearing the guilty. When he says by no means clearing the guilty, he, he, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about that, that, that there is going to be a price for people's sins. His son was going to pay it. But you have to receive that gift of, of salvation through the blood of his son. And, and that you don't just get in apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. And that, and that, that he will deal with sin. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children, the third and fourth generation. So that last part, listen, I want to unpack that just for a minute. Um, in context here, what are we talking about? 
Come on, y'all. I've asked you like five times tonight. Grace, grace, grace. We're talking about the grace of God. And God makes this wonderful um, proclamation of who he is as he passes by and his very nature and his very characteristics. And they're all positives. And then he doesn't just... And then say, and then by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw the kids from generation to generation to generation. And we have, and understand this, and, and know this, this is very important, that, that, that in the church and in society, we want to have an excuse of this thing we like to call a generational curse. My dad was an alcoholic, his dad was an alcoholic, I'll be an alcoholic. And that this verse here, that God's going to visit the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and the children and the children's children is not what it means. It's not a generational curse. God is not visiting the father's sins. And I'm not an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic. If I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic because I made that choice. What he's talking about is grace and mercy and that he's going to visit every generation with mercy and opportunity and grace is what he's saying. So important. Now, um, the whole idea of a generational curse, that, that is, is not, we don't have, I'm not throwing that completely out the window because there, there's, there's physical laws. If you grew up in a house where both your parents smoked and, and smoked in the car and smoked in the house and you're around smoke your whole life, there's probably a better chance that you're going to become a smoker than, than somebody who didn't, Right? If you, if you watched your dad drink every, every night and every day and um, you went to parties and your family and your mom, they drank and they did it socially, you're much more likely then to become and start as a social drinker, which could end up in alcoholism, correct? Is, is that God cursing the, the, the children because the dad um, smoked or, or drank in front of them often? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying I'm going to pass those sins on for to, to seven generations. He's saying, I'm going to visit generation after generation with my grace, with my long suffering, with my goodness, with my mercy and give them opportunity and be there with them and for them. And in that context, God's going to visit the generation. He tells them in, 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 um, in Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel, because of this same idea that, that God is in control of this generational curse, God deals with it and he cleans it up because it was being said, it was being taught, it was being um, you know, continued and propagated. And so God finally cuts it off and tells them in Ezekiel, after you know, years and years and years of this nonsense went on, he said, listen, stop it. It's not, it's not, it's not what I'm doing. Okay? So two things. Generational curse is, is physical. It's, it's a result of sin. It's a natural occurrence. If you jump off the, the roof here and you land on the ground and you break both of your legs, is God cursing you for jumping off the roof? What cursed you? Gravity and the dumb decision you made to get on the roof and jump. That's what cursed you and only what cursed you. Why are my legs broken, God? Are you mad at me? You hate me. No, I don't. I love you. You're a dummy. You jumped off the roof. And I created this thing like 7,000 years ago called gravity. And you fell and you broke your legs. And I didn't do that to you. I, I didn't make that kid an alcoholic because his dad was an alcoholic. Does that sound like God? No, that, that's not what he's saying. I'm, I'm not cursing the, the kid, but... Again, now, now separating the two, just knowing the generational curse is it's human. It's not it's not divine. 
Okay? There is such thing as a, as a human curse, but it's not God putting it on the generation to generation to generation to generation. It's us and our sins. And God said there's a consequence of your sin. If you go, you know, magic, all Magic Johnson and, you know, try to sleep with a thousand women and you end up with AIDS, are you mad at God because you have AIDS? I sure hope not. I hope that you're wise enough to know. He said, I told you not to do that for that exact reason. I didn't give you AIDS. You gave it to yourself. I told you not to do that because I love you, because I wanted to bless you. And you went out and slept with a bunch of women and now you have AIDS. But it's okay because you've got a lot of money and you're going to live for a lot of years. We didn't know that back in 1991, but the night he came out and announced it. So, um, Again, you know, so I, I'm going to stop there. You guys will pick up in verse 10 next week because we are way, way, way out of time. But um, let's pray. There, there's there's the most amazing story, and I need to find it because it made such an impression on my life. And and Pastor Steve Mays at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. It's in Gardena, California. Um, one of the churches that, that when I very, very first got saved, that, that I started attending. It's big. It's big. It wasn't at the time. We they moved three times since then. Today it's mega church, Calvary Chapel in South Bay, California, in the South Bay of Southern California. And but Pastor Steve Mays, who's went home to be with the Lord, he had this this story that he would tell. And I heard him use it as an illustration in several different sermons. But and it was a true story. And it's a husband and a wife who served the Lord and loved Jesus. And then it doesn't take very long, right, for your family tree to start to branch out. In my family, my grandma Tay and 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 grandpa Jacques, my dad's parents, had um, thirteen kids, eleven of which lived, two two which died young. From those eleven kids, my dad had eight kids. So from those eleven kids, it, it came out to like eighty kids. And then my generation from all of our kids, that 80, then the number goes to like 300 and something. And then that 300, that number goes to like 2,000 or something. It, it, you know, it, it, that's how fast it's, it grows like that. So, so in these two family trees, this one um, family who served Jesus and, and were Christian and another heathen family. And as they go down their family tree and, and you know, it's a true story. And again, I, I've looked it up on the Internet a couple of times. I heard Pastor Steve say it, but I can't find the numbers. So I'm just going to make them up. All right. Um, but basically, the sum of the story is that in the in the one family line, they had like 27 percent became doctors and. Um, so many became lawyers and teachers and professionals and um, pastors and missionaries and um, just just successful um, generation after generation after generation of successful and, and, and godly and, and, and just good people. And then the other guy who, and his wife, same thing, like the Hatfield and McCoys type of thing. And like, like, you know, 40% of them ended up in prison and, 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 and murders and rapes and thievery and, and all of this just junk, 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 junk in this other family tree. And, and so that, again, that is kind of the, the heart of a generational curse is, is, but again, it's not God cursing and passing a curse on for as a result of somebody's sins, right? We'd all be screwed. 
somewhere in my father or grandfather, they did something that I hope I'm not having to, to live down, nor would it be godly or, or God's heart or desire. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, God. And Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for Ezekiel 33 and 34. Powerful, powerful passages of scripture right there in the Old Testament. Lord, I thank you for Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu being here today. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us just a keen eye and a heart and intelligence as we study and, and, and go through biblical prophecy because it's fun, it's exciting. And Lord, help us to, to be obedient, to go into all nations and make disciples of, of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do according to all that you taught us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.